So we're going to be celebrating in just a, just a few minutes the, the baptisms uh, of a whole bunch of um, people who are part of our church, some of whom have been with the church for, for, for most of their lives and have come to the place where for themselves they want to say, I want to follow Jesus and we want to rejoice in that. Uh, others have just started coming to the church in the last little while and they've come to know God for themselves and, uh, you know, we're delighted that we get, to, we get to celebrate your baptism as well. So if you're here supporting somebody else, um, we love that you're here. And I just want to um, share just a little bit, just to give, I suppose, a bit of context. When, we, when we're talking about being baptized um, and coming to know God, who, who are we talking about? Uh, who is the God that we follow? And one of the things that I think is fascinating about our culture is that we, um, we love stories. And when we're little, um, our parents tell us stories to um, make us go to sleep, uh, though it doesn't seem to work in the case of my four children, but uh, that's what they try and do. And then when we get older, um, the stories continue. It's just that we swap our dad for Disney+, Plus, and we swap our mum for Netflix, and uh, we sit down as adults and we basically say, tell me a bedtime story before I go. Um, the, way that we, the way that we talk about our lives... So often we turn it, almost without realizing, I think a lot of the time, we turn it into a story. So somebody says, how was your day? And we had to get into London and the trains were striking. So we start telling them this epic quest that we went on. Or we're, um, we've had a run-in with the boss or with a teacher and somebody says, how was your day? And so we tell them a story of good versus evil. Uh, or we, we, you know, we, it, when you're talking about a sports match, if you've been to see a football game, you know, and they say, how was the match? You don't just tell them the score, you, you tell them the story of the game. So what happened is this happened and it was really close and then, you know, we snatched victory from the jaws of defeat. So it's kind of, it's how we think about the world, it's how we understand it and so often it's how we understand ourselves as well. And that's appropriate really because Jesus loved to tell stories and his stories were really um, an attempt to, well, more than an attempt, they did show us who we are and they show us who God is. And so I just want to read a brief um, story that Jesus told, and then I'm going to unpack it a little bit. So Luke chapter 15, starting in verse 3. Then Jesus told them this parable or this story. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me. I have found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous people who do not need to repent. And so that is a really simple story. There's a shepherd, he has 100 sheep, he loses a sheep, he goes and finds the sheep, he brings it back, he has a party. We hear that story and we might well think, how on earth does that story help me understand the world? How does that help me understand who I am? And I think it starts with, it's helpful to know who we are in the story. So in this story that Jesus tells, we are the lost sheep. And uh, I'm aware that even as I say that, that is not the sort of character that many of us would like to be in a story, a lost sheep. Uh, had Jesus told us a story about a strong, independent lion who was making their way in the world, then maybe that would be a character we could identify with. But a lost sheep, I'm not so sure. Um, sheep are in many ways the most pathetic of animals. You, you don't find wild sheep because they wouldn't survive. So 
Um, they need almost everything done for them. And not only is this animal a sheep, they are a sheep that's got lost. So it's like even worse, if you can get worse than being a sheep, to become a lost sheep. So that's not the sort of person we think, yeah, I'd like to be that in a story. But that's who we are. And I, I remember a friend of mine called Danielle. She worked with uh, ladies who had been trafficked. And she was just doing amazing stuff, setting them free, uh, helping them find their feet again and find life again. And she was telling me about a friend of hers who had her life all together. Um, she was a barrister. Uh, she worked in the city. You know, one of these scarily sort of like, you don't want to mess with them type people. Their life is totally under control. Um, and uh, she said she brought her friend to come and see this work that she was doing with these, uh, these women and to see the center that she set up. And she showed her all around. And her friend was, was really impressed by it. And so they sat down afterwards and they, they started having a conversation. And her friend knew that Danielle was a Christian. And she knew that she was doing what she was doing because she was a follower of Jesus. And this lady said, look, Danielle, I think what you're doing is amazing. You know, I, I see the difference you're making to these, these women in their lives. But um, I just need you to know that I just don't get the Christianity bit. She said, I just think um, Christianity is for the weak. She said, it's like it's a mental crutch for the weak. And Danielle looked at her and she said, yeah, I'm weak. I'm weak. And then she said, and you need to know that Jesus isn't just my crutch. He's my whole stretcher. Uh, I couldn't get away with saying things like that, but Danielle can get away with it. She said that to her. And her friend just didn't know what to make of that. And she just looked a bit, you know, and then, um, and then got up and, and left. And then um, about a week later, Danielle had a phone call at two o'clock in the morning, and it was her, her barrister friend. And her barrister friend was just sobbing and sobbing on the phone. And she just said to her, Danielle, I am weak. Danielle, I am weak. And she told her the story of her life. And, and her life was that she had tried for so many years to keep it together, to be on top of things and, and, and be in control. But actually inside, although on the surface, it looked like she had it all worked out. Deep down inside, that wasn't the case at all. There was this disconnect that she knew was there when she stopped and looked at it. And... The thing is, I don't think many of us want to admit that we are lost. Um, I think most of us are probably like I am when I'm driving somewhere and my wife turns to me and says, are you sure we're going in the right direction, Andy? We've been, we've been going for a long time and I'm pretty sure we should have been there by now. Do you think that maybe we should put the sat-nav on? And what I do when she says that to me is I turn to her and I say, of course I know where we are and no, we shouldn't put the sat-nav on. And the truth is, I haven't a clue where we are. I haven't known where we are for the last 20 minutes. What I'm doing is I'm driving and I'm just hoping that I'm going to see a landmark that I recognize and then I can just pretend like I've known what I'm doing all along. Um, I struggle to admit it. Now, in my case, it's because I'm proud. So I find even when I'm in Asda, I will not ask somebody for help, um, let alone in life, right? So, so when we have these, these things that become obvious to us, we're reluctant to admit that we're lost. And what we say to ourselves is, I'm not lost. I know exactly where I'm going. And the other thing that we can say is, if I just keep going just for a little bit longer, just around the corner somewhere is that thing that I'm looking for. So if I can just get a little bit further ahead in my career, or if I can just get that relationship that I've been after, if I can just, you know, get a little bit more money in the bank, if I can get that stuff, then I'll find that deep sense of peace that's missing at the moment. 
or if I can just keep going just in this direction for a little while longer, then I'll find that sense of self-worth that I know I don't have right now. And we tell ourselves we'll get there, and the truth is we're lost. And what Jesus says is, without him, we are lost. So the story, it holds this mirror up to us. It makes us a little bit uncomfortable, and then it goes on. And it shows us not just what we can be like, but what God is like. So God is, he's the shepherd in the story. And before I became a Christian, to me, it looked like from the outside, this is how you, you know, you work your way to God, basically. I thought it was this list of, here's how you behave, and if you're good enough, you'll work your way up to God. And, and to me, it looked like basically religion was you trying to work your way to God and trying to figure him out. And that's what I thought Christianity was until I understood the message. Uh, and then I, I, it changed the way that I think it. That's not the message of Jesus at all. It's, it's totally different. And let, let me put it like this, because this is one of the ways that I understand it. Um, when I was, I was dating my now wife, Beth, we were both um, students, and I remember going to visit her on, on a few occasions, and basically this is when we were early, early days trying to get together, and, and um, I was doing all the things that I thought you were meant to do when you were trying to date a girl. So I was buying her little presents, I was, you know, sending her nice messages, I was like paying for the meals, I was, I was doing all of that stuff. And if you had asked me in these early days in my relationship with Beth, how's it going, Andy? I would say, it's going great. Um, you know what? I am charming her and she is falling for it. And I'm pretty proud of myself. And then there was something that happened that sort of changed my perspective on it. And it was when I went to visit Beth um, one day, and we were walking down the street. It was kind of late afternoon in the winter, and she was shivering. She was getting a little bit cold. And so I thought, gentleman that I am, uh, I'll lend her my jumper. So I took off my hoodie, and I said, would you like this? And she said, yes, thank you. She put the hoodie on, and she wore it for a few hours. And then before I um, had to go back, she just gave it back and I shoved it in my bag, uh, went back to my university. And then when I got into my room, I didn't think anything of it. I just pulled the jumper out, put it in the wardrobe and forgot about it. Anyway, about three weeks after this, I, I pulled the, this hoodie out of the wardrobe and I pull it on and it really smells of Beth in a good way, right? It's just like, oh my word, it's this wave of like her smell, just like, I was thinking, this is nuts. Like she put this on for a little while, three weeks ago, and it really smells of her. And I remember ringing her and just saying, hey Beth, um, you know, this jumper really smells of you. Uh, you know, the one that I gave you ages ago. And she's like, oh right, oh does it, okay. And, um, and didn't think anything of it. And then anyway, six months later, she admitted to me that what she'd done is before she'd given me the jumper back, she'd taken her perfume and she'd literally poured half a bottle of her perfume over this jumper. And I loved that when I rang her and I said, it really smells of you, I'm so confused. She was like, oh, does it? Oh, really? Oh, how strange. Um, and at the time, if you'd asked me when I was trying to get together with Beth, how's it going, Andy? I would have said, oh, yeah, it's going great. You know, I'm you know, charming her. I'm doing all of that. Now I see it differently. Now I see that I was just this innocent little fly buzzing along, and she was spinning her seductive web of lies. And she trapped me. And I thought at the time I had a choice. I now think I'm not sure I had much of a chance. And uh, it's like, if you'd asked me when I was coming to know Jesus, how's it going? Do you know the story I would have told you? I'm, I'm weighing up the evidence. And I'm considering him, and I'm trying to work it out, and you know, maybe I'll go for this, I'm not sure yet. And I'm, 
You know, and now I look back and I realize through the lenses of this story that something else is in fact going on, that he all along has been pursuing me. He all along was seeking me out. He came looking for me. That's the story of Christianity. It's that God has come looking for us. He's come looking for us. And Jesus paints it with this, this picture of a shepherd. And it's like the shepherd loses this one sheep and he doesn't say to himself, do you know what? I've got 99 other sheep. That's just how it goes in shepherding. You lose some. He says, I've lost a sheep, so I'm going to go find him. And then he's looking and, you know, in the Middle East, going anywhere, in, in that kind of weather, it's the heat and it's not a nice environment. He's not just walking down the street. He's walking through kind of gorse bushes. He's walking up hills. He's walking into valleys. It's rough terrain and everywhere he, he's going, He's kind of got his eyes open. He's listening. Where is that sheep? Where is that sheep? Where is that sheep? And it's a picture for us of what God is like because God in Jesus, as he becomes Jesus, he comes looking for us. And he'll go through anything to get to us. So he'll push past all the barriers that we throw up against him, all the things that we want to do that try and put him off. And what we hear in the story of Christianity is that he climbs up a hill and that's where he gives his life up on a cross. And then he goes down into a valley, and that's where we bury him in a tomb, death. He goes into the valley of death, and then he pushes through that even to find us. The shepherd, we're told in the story, he does not give up until he has found it. God comes looking for us. And then to finish, we might ask the question, why? And... It may be that for you, you know what, this, this, this story is the first you're hearing about what Christians actually believe. Now, if I was the shepherd in the story, because um, the answer to why is given to us here, it would read, when he finally found the sheep, he resentfully put it on his shoulders and he grumbled his way back. And when he got back, he put the sheep down and he gave it an absolute talking to. And he said, now do what I tell you and don't go anywhere. Right? That's how it would read if I was the shepherd. But instead, what happens in the story is the shepherd finally finds the sheep and it's cost him all of that hassle and he picks the sheep up joyfully and he puts it on his shoulders because the sheep can't even walk and then he carries it back and then it goes a step further because then he throws a party for the sheep. He literally says, hey neighbours, come on over, we're going to have a party for the sheep. Now can you imagine if your like, next door neighbour came knocking on your door one day and said, I've lost my dog. Have you seen it anywhere? And you, and you said no. And then they said, okay, well, I'm going to go and look. And they spent hours and hours and hours looking for this dog. And then they found the dog. And then they brought it back. And then they pamphleted the whole street saying, we're going to have a party because my dog is back. And I want to celebrate that. And then you go round. And there they are with the dog and the 99 other dogs that they also own. But they're celebrating this one dog that they found. What would we think of a neighbor like that? We'd think they're crazy. And this is like next level shepherding. It seems nuts because it's not our sheep. It's not our sheep. But it is the shepherd's sheep. And he cares for it. And this idea of God as a shepherd and us as a sheep, that's just one picture of our relationship with God. It's one of many. But do you know what another really big one is? It's that he's our father and we're his kids. Now, I've got four boys. If one of them goes missing, my response will not be, ah, 
I've got three other ones. <laughs> Most of the time. My response is, get the army out. We've got to find them. And that's his response when we're far from him. You think we don't like it? He likes it even less. And so he does everything he can, all within his power, to find us. This is the message of Jesus. And it, it reminds me, one of, the, one of the stories from the news, and I finished with this, that stayed with me. It was a couple of years ago now. But it was about something that happened in Australia, and it, but the, the story went global. And it was a story of this little girl called Cleo Smith. And her parents took her camping. And they went to sleep one night. She was in the tent with them. And then they woke up the next morning and she wasn't there. And it is every parent's nightmare. And they, they call the police. They, there's this massive manhunt that's organized trying to find her. And they can't find her for 18 days. Now, as a, as a parent, if, if you're in that situation, any of us, really, we'd be thinking, you would be thinking the worst. 18 days, this four-year-old has been missing. And eventually, the police got a tip-off, and they had a breakthrough in the case, and they, they turned up at um, this house, random house in the middle of nowhere, busted in, and they found her. She'd been abducted by somebody. They found her, and there's this, this news footage that they showed all over the world of the police carrying this little girl out in their arms, and she's well, and she's... She's reunited with her parents. And her parents in that moment, can you imagine for them, just all the fear that had raced through their mind, the way that they wouldn't have even been able to sleep at night, the, the things that they would have imagined happening to their little girl. And then suddenly, there she is, and she's well. Do you think they threw a party? Do you think they might have rejoiced a little bit? Well, the way that those parents felt about Cleo, that picture... That is how God feels about us. It's how he feels about you. And we are going to now baptize our friends here, our brothers and sisters. And I've chatted with some of them, and I've heard a little bit of their story, not loads, and we're going to hear more, um, not, not this morning, but in the weeks ahead, we want to share the stories. But I know that they have, some of them found themselves at rock bottom, at a place of, of knowing that they're lost. For some of them, they knew him when they were little, and then they wandered off. And now they're rejoicing that they are found again, and that he has carried them home. And for me, I'll just say this, as a 17-year-old, I became a follower of Jesus. At the time, before I knew him, I thought I knew what he was like, and then I discovered that he was love. And I thought I knew how to live. And I realized that when I came to know him, I'd just been existing. And what I've found in all the years that I've followed him since is that wherever I have been, and I've been in some great places, and like everyone, I've been in some hard places, sitting in hospital waiting rooms or in, in a place that you just feel like, why, why have I ended up here? Wherever I have been, I'll say this, I have never been lost. Because even when I've been somewhere I didn't want to be, I've been with the shepherd, I've been with the king, I've been with Jesus, the saviour. And so we're going to rejoice, even as heaven rejoices, over our friends this morning.